This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Life, a precious gift persevering in the face of every obstacle until finally the age of heroes was born. Chaos, the constant enemy of life, kept at bay by champions from across the multiverse. is about to come under attack. There is a malevolent force at work, one driven by a singular goal. I hope you're watching, big guy. The destruction of all there is. I have planned. There are those who say I have schemed. Time for preparation is past. The crisis is now upon us all. Holy crimson skies of death! Hey everybody, this is the final time we're going to say Bat Fans, yes we're still here. Uh, this is episode number 191. My name is Dane and with me, as always, as always... As always, <laughs> yes. Have I ever missed an episode? <laughs> I don't it think so. Might have been one very early on, but yeah, yeah as you said, always, always, always. <laughs> yeah, always, always, always. We, we we always, always, always do this show. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes with without you, Dane. I'm sorry. When yeah. I had to do those ones by myself, which I don't prefer to do, but <laughs> sometimes I just can't help it. Where I don't want to wait a few extra weeks to talk about i think one of those was one we did or what i did the review of the batman the animated series blu-ray i just had to get an episode out talking right. about it <laughs> or you could just just be like um you know you say something like um yeah the the batman the animated series collection was really good um they had this in it this in it this in it and blah 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 um what do you think about it dane Oh, well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking know, to myself. You play both of us. Yeah, yeah. you play both of us. Then. <laughs> so I would sound just like a complete nut on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Tim's Batfans uh, podcast episode straight from Arkham Asylum where he's having a conversation with himself yeah. and pretending to be Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we call that the Crazy Tim 
uh, episode podcast. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, that that means we're gonna need a new name. We change it every year. We have like we've had like twenty of them so far, Tim. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're gonna be thinking about that. If you're listening to this and you think of something, uh, let us know on Twitter or something. Yeah, because, uh, we're open for suggestions. Yeah, not really sure where in, in which direction we're gonna go for this one, Tim. I know it literally can go anywhere. So <laughs> yeah, we'll find hmm. out in the coming weeks if we think about anything in these next few weeks or we just think about it on the spot before we record our first episode of 2019 or 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tw- 2020, Tim, we're in a new decade. Uh, hard to believe it really is. I know. Right. Uh, especially yeah. these past couple of years. <laughs> um, I mean, but yeah, uh, pretty soon we're going to be coming up on our ten year anniversary. That's hard to believe. <laughs> if we get once we get to twenty twenty two, like wow. Yeah, I, f- I definitely feel old after you said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's... I was twenty two. I'm, I'm a few years older than you. So <laughs> Tim was eighteen when we started this. <laughs> now he's forty eight. <laughs> yeah, but heading into the twilight years. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least you have Star Wars to look forward to, Tim. But, you know? Star Wars mainly on the TV front for these next few years because yeah. we're just less than a week from the Rise of Skywalker, and that's going to be it for Star Wars films for the next few years. So, hey, but I'm totally okay with that, with how good things are looking for Star Wars on TV. So <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to be complaining too much. <laughs> I wonder if Disney would do like a thing where it's... Or, or Disney and... Lucasfilm, I wonder if they would do a thing where it's like, okay, we're filming the, um, I don't know, Beauty and the Beast live action 2 sequel. Uh (laughs) It ends up being a secret Star Wars movie. I don't know how they'd be able to keep that a secret. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess not. Or they could do it. I don't know. I don't know if you remember like one or two years ago uh, during the Super Bowl. They uh, Netflix put out that um, Cloverfield yeah. sequel or prequel or whatever it is, whatever that is, um, and that was actually supposed to be another movie, totally. But then they just added that Cloverfield monster in. Oh, really? Yeah, to to make it a Cloverfield sequel yeah. <laughs> or prequel or whatever. So I wonder if they could do that with Star Wars. Like, oh, we're making the Aladdin sequel, but. You know, um, we're renaming the character, I don't know, something. And he's the new face of our franchise. Yeah. <laughs> She's see, the new face of our franchise. <laughs> you see, I've actually had an idea for something like that. But on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles front, I yeah. think it would be really cool if they did a movie where, especially if they're doing it based on the current IDW comics, because there's a lot of just the history of, Old Japan with uh, Splinter, Hamato Yoshi as a human, and Shredder, Rokosaki, just back in that era of like feudal Japan. And it's a movie just based off that, because that's just a great story in itself. And right. if they were to do a movie that's just like this period piece of ancient Japan, and you had no idea it was involved with the turtles, because literally you could do a story like that. But then at the very end, 
of what happens in that story. And then there's like a post credit scene where it shows Splinter as like as a rat, <laughs> like waking <laughs> up and then fighting the turtle. There's a there's a way they could do that. I think that would be pretty yeah. cool to subvert it expectations for people who aren't familiar with the turtles they're just seeing this really cool period piece of these characters set in feudal japan and then but for the diehard turtles fans they know what's going on and they'd get a huge surprise knowing oh this is actually a teenage mutant ninja turtles movie (laughs) yeah um i i was actually sort of thinking that this past week because i got an email uh from playstation about and I do believe it's a PlayStation 4 exclusive. Um, and it's a game I totally forgot about that having an E3 or whatever. Um, Ghosts of Tsushima. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You remember the Samurai yeah. uh, game? I thought the same thing for that game. Like, this could make a cool Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe game. Yeah, you're playing like, as Hamato Yoshi. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're playing as a samurai, a nameless samurai, right? And then mm. all of a sudden at the end... You know, it's a uh, you, you see Spencer as a yeah. as a baby rat. You know, see, that would I I just want to see that idea done somewhere because yeah. it did it so well in those IDW comics. Whether it's a, a movie or a video game or an animated movie or something, I think that would be so cool. It would make a good movie if they did. It really would. Like that. Um, they could do some Star Wars. Could do something like that. They could do something like that. Prequel, it's hard to pull to Cloverfield. <laughs> It'd be whatever. hard to pull off for Star Wars because it has to have, you know, that Star Wars feel yeah. and look to it. So, yeah. so where you know it's Star Wars, it can't be so. Or I, I, I totally forgot about this, and the movie wasn't good at all. But um, they did that for uh, Blair Witch. They did. Uh, okay. they, they announced that they were making a horror movie, and then they released the teaser trailer. It turned out to be a Blair Witch. Ah. <laughs> sequel prequel I, I don't know um, it's it's funny talking about that with star wars it made me think about an old april fool's joke starwars.com did this might be going back 10 years ago or so yeah but it was announced that willow is set in the star wars universe but yet it's <laughs> thousands and thousands of years before the movie so that's why there's no like the technology is real limited. It's more medieval yeah. bases, no lightsabers or anything. But like the magic using that's actually the force. But maybe they didn't know it. So <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Like you know, if they really wanted to, maybe they could weave that in somewhere it, to make it yeah. work. Change a few things here and there. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that could work. Um, it would it would make uh, Star Wars fans very mad. Well, that's never happened before. When has <laughs> anything made Star Wars fans mad? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you're you're right. Uh, so, uh, Star Wars is kind of like punk rock for me. <laughs> that's a good uh, thing. <laughs> uh, it it started out great. It's like you know, it's a it's a message I can really really get behind. But then certain people start coming in and using it for hate speech and <laughs> it becomes something not very good yeah <laughs> i guess it's not a good such a good thing after all over time but people do some or, people i, I should say, I, I should say yeah i should say bringing in their own views on certain things yeah <laughs> into their star their love of quote-unquote love of star wars so yeah star wars reminds me of punk rock a lot <sighs> 
Anyway. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on from that punk rock analogy, which I thought was pretty good, Dan. Um, let's do our min- our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. This is the last one for the year. We're almost done with this. Thing, I know. Too. Will we finish it in twenty twenty? I think we might. Uh, let me take a look. Because we're gonna hit the two hour and twenty minute mark after this episode. Yeah, so we just we would just have to do twenty five episodes, right? Which with what we kind of average out about somewhere around there a year, I think. Hold on, let me check. Tim, say something. <laughs> well, I as Dane does the math, but <laughs> this yeah. is another feature we're bringing on the podcast: math calculations <laughs> as far <laughs> as how many minutes we're gonna average out for a year talking about the Dark Knight Rises. Okay. So, Dane, do you have the equation the to this complicated problem? <laughs> I'm looking up the the pod. Oh, our cover art changed. Oh, you did, are you looking on iTunes? Yeah, on iTunes. Oh yeah, you never noticed that. No. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it changed like earlier this year. At least that's when I first yeah. noticed it. Okay, so we started off at 170, and we are on 190, so 20. So, well, 191. We, so 191, right? So we, it's gonna be another year, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> We were, we'll be definitely close by the end of 2020. Yeah. We'll, right we'll definitely be in the credits, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're not going to do the whole credits, are we? <laughs> we have to, Tim. We got to do it from the beginning to the end. Uh, until, uh, uh, until that number on the right side goes out <laughs> to zero, 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 right? I guess you're right. The, yeah, the completionist in me agrees with you there. So. <laughs> yeah. And we owe it to the people that made this movie to sit and do a commentary <laughs> over their names, <laughs> right? Well, that's going to be an interesting conversation for those men. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, you know Christian Bale had his own private chef. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're going to see and learn about all these things about the production of Dark Knight Rises we never knew about before. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, j- just grab your... Um, VHS copy, grab your beta tape, grab your laser disc, grab your um, HD DVD, grab your projector, grab your uh, uh, Netflix physical subscription card <laughs> copy, <laughs> uh, grab your Blockbuster co- copy, and grab your GameStop copy. Tim, I don't think GameStop ever rented out movies though. You could buy used copies it, of them there, I guess. So yeah, but you could buy you could buy DVDs from GameStop. yeah, that's too. Yeah, um, and grab your favorite, um, and our favorite, and everybody's favorite. The the way this movie was meant to be seen. Grab your VHS to DVD converted copy. So Tim, are you ready? Yes, I am. Let's All do right. another minute to close out twenty nineteen. All right, last minute of 2019. Hey, I just uh, got to say, it's ironic that our last minute in 2019 is the two-hour and 19-minute mark, so it's appropriate. <laughs> right, I didn't even see that. And we're going to 220. Yeah, so okay, things yeah. lined up perfectly. Yeah, if, if, if you're wondering what we're talking about, we're going from uh, uh, two hours and 19 minutes to two, two hours, I was it two, 2020 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Uh, we're going from two hours and 19 minutes to two hours and 20 minutes so 
I'm gonna give the countdown. Uh, three, two, one, play. <laughs> I gotta say that was a funny look on Batman's face there as we had it pause on the beginning of this minute in <laughs> <laughs> his pain that he <laughs> that he was in for getting stabbed. Sorry to laugh at him getting stabbed, but it was just a funny facial expression Christian Bale had in that one shot. I hope there's no blood. Well, that's how good the suit is, though. Oh, yeah, I guess. Stemming Fox bleak. pointed that out in The Dark Knight. Of course, Commissioner Gordon has to drop his thing. <laughs> you got to build that suspense. Yeah. I did like, well, Talia just says innocent is a strong word to throw around Gotham, which she's kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't excuse her trying to kill everyone in there, but she does have a point. <laughs> so Bane is all good then, though. Oh, he's I mean, perfectly fine. He fixed after, that little yeah, piece on his mask that was damaged. Yeah. Oh, come on, Commissioner Gordon. Gotta do it. Don't make us wait until 2020 to see if you can get stop the bomb. Oh, oh. no. Oh, We're not I don't know if I can if... wait that long, Dean. <laughs> not going to see if Commissioner Gordon stops the bomb, Tim. I got to continue. I got to find out. Yeah. Got to find out because we don't know the end of this movie. Nope. <laughs> I mean, it just came out, so people <laughs> yeah, should be respectful of spoilers for this movie. It just came out almost last decade. Yeah, <laughs> it just came out seven years ago. <laughs> so um, when we celebrate our tenth anniversary of this podcast, we'll also be celebrating the ten-year anniversary of The Dark Knight Rises again, which is going to oh, be right. still very yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. And can you believe? Uh, the Dark Knight is 12. No, I really can't. <laughs> Almost 12, sorry, I guess. Yeah, it's... it's... We've aged terribly, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope our podcast has aged like a fine wine. It just gets better <laughs> after every year. <laughs> well, I wonder if uh, somebody... I doubt it, but I wonder if somebody started listening to us when they were 10 years old. And they're 20 now. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, we were there for their teenage years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if there's any of you out there who did that, please let us know because we got to thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got to get you something. Yes. We'll name the show, or the show after yeah. you for 2020. Yeah, we'll <laughs> <laughs> um, but now we can move on to, to our featured topic. And this is a Tim specific featured topic. So that means I'm going to be distracting Tim with a bunch of. Questions <laughs> that <laughs> that may have to do what we're talking about, or have nothing to do what I'm yeah, talking about, which is what they usually tends to bring up. <laughs> well, you see, Tim, when you when you start to go on a monologue, let's say, <laughs> I get distracted, and it's like, okay, let's see what uh, let's see what the Star Wars uh, movie is up to. Oh, I didn't know Ray, blah blah blah. You know, yeah. I mean, how come Ray does this? You know, you mean you're not hanging on every word that I say when I talk to him. You're just not gripped to the way I'm reviewing and going over this topic. I'm well, Tim. <laughs> Tim, in, in in this case, you can't beat Star Wars. Well, that's with any case. So. <laughs> but, oh wait. No, uh, I, I do have one question for you, a Star Wars-related question. I've been holding on to this for a while. wanted to bring this up on this podcast. Um, was going to send the email into um, 
uh, the saga continues. Sorry, I forgot about it. <laughs> I forgot the name. I'm so crushed right now. I guess, but um, yeah. Okay, so how come it's called Star Wars and it's not called Stars War? <laughs> wow, because it just sounds better. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, and it could be multiple wars in the star, right? So it's just one specific star in the galaxy where all the wars are taking place. And that's how you're interpreting it. Mm. Well, so far it has been, right? The Skywalker saga. Yeah, but I mean, you're just when I think of one star, I mean, out of all the billions of stars in the galaxy that we've seen <laughs> in the movies, TV shows, now you're implying that the name Star Wars, it's only focused on one star because... It's not plural in the title. It's just singular. Yeah, star. yeah right. So star. <laughs> There's tons of wars in one star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense because it's only been uh, the Skywalker saga, right? Well, so it's it's a Star Wars. So they have a bunch of wars near this one star. Well, if you want to take a look at it more, not in a literal sense, I guess you could make that where the star is the Skywalker's. And that's where yeah. the war is the center. I never looked at it that way, Dane. But it's, I don't think that's too far of a stretch. Oh yeah, and right, and and they do say a long time ago in a galaxy, galaxy, not galaxies far, far mm-hmm. away, right? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> well, that was a question we... I've never heard before. So as yeah. usual, those are the type of Star Wars questions you ask, and they're always fun. Um. But yeah, uh, why don't you tell people about our featured topic for this episode, which um, I'm sure you've been waiting for. Waiting for, I'm sure you've been waiting to see this in live oh, action. Yes. Okay. Oh yes. Let's hear it. All right. So we're continuing the trend of TV shows being the theme for our featured topic through the last few episodes, and this one's mainly going to focus on Crisis on Infinite Earths, the first three parts that have aired. But we're going to get into some more Watchmen too, because how can we not? after the last few episodes so <laughs> i'll go into that as well but i'll start off first with giving my thoughts and reviews on the first three episodes of crisis on infinite earths yes just the first three because the last two are going to air about a month from now i believe it's january 20th sometime around there they kind of i think they wanted to build a suspense since it is five parts and plus oh. uh, i think they probably want to have the last few episodes of arrow and in, in a row because um the Arrow episode on Crisis on Infinite Earths is going to be one of the ones, the last two airing in January. Then after that, there's only two more episodes of Arrows left. So they probably all want them all rolling out close together. Um, but, plus two, um, you know, the holidays, right? Exactly. Yeah. They yeah. usually have all their crossovers wrapped up before the holidays, though. So, but this one, they're stretching out a little longer since it is five. Oh, I see. So. I'm going to go into all the details here of stuff that I want to talk about, which is going to include spoilers for some of the big things that happened. So if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to hold off to hear what I got to say. But if not, um, I'm just going to go all in. So start with the first part. And right off the bat, I love how this crossover kicked off. You got the monitor kind of doing a monologue about the creation of the galaxy and the age of heroes starting. But then we just see the crisis happening right off the bat on different earths and i kind of like this approach they just go right into it because over the course i've only been watching flash and arrow this year 
but in the main thrux of those season has been preparing for crisis. So there's been a lot of setup on those shows for crisis. So there wasn't need to do more setup. I thought going straight in for the crisis happening was fine because we've seen it all been building up over the various series. But the way it kicks off was just showing the different Earths being destroyed by the anti-monitor wave. We got some cool references and nods and Easter eggs here. I loved it. This is what Christ, this crossover is about. Just delivering tons of fan service and Easter eggs for DC movie and TV history. It was great because the first Earth we see is Earth 89. And I got a b- huge smile on my face when I heard the classic Danny Elfman Batman thing kicked in. And we see Tim Burton's Gotham. And then it zooms in and we see someone reading a newspaper. He lowers it and we see Robert Wool back as Alexander Knox. <laughs> He's sitting on a bench and we see the skies are red. The crisis is happening. We see the bat signal in the background. And he just says, you know, I hope you're watching a big guy. And sadly, Earth 89 is destroyed. But that was a, it was just cool to hear and seeing that reference to Batman 89. The only thing that was a little puzzling, the newspaper he was reading said Batman captures the Joker. And Joker died in Batman 89. So who knows what transpired over the past 30 years at Gotham City since that event. But it was so cool. The artwork on the newspaper was a classic Keaton Batman suit. So that was awesome. Another surprise was that they threw in uh, the Titans show from the DC Universe app into the mix where we see um, Hawk and Jason Todd as Robin looking at their destruction of their world with the anti-monitor wave coming at them. I think they just used some stock footage from Titans where they didn't actually film specifically for this crossover, but it was so cool to see that universe recognized. And then another great one, which closed out the intro, was Earth-66 seeing Burt Ward as Dick Grayson walking Ace the Bat Hound, hearing the 66 theme play, and then the sky goes red, the wave's coming, Dick Grayson turns his head, and he says the classic line you would expect <laughs> for that Dick Grayson to say, holy crimson skies of death! <laughs> then we get the title card, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So just getting these nods and Easter eggs to these classic eras of Batman, the movie, the 66 show. It was just great. And getting these actors to replay, repraise their roles in this small way, but it was still fun to see just as diehard DC and Batman fans. So it was just really cool. We knew they were going to be in it. There were so many guest stars announced for this. You had to know going in that some of them, if not most, were just going to be small cameos. And in the case of Robert Wool and Burt Ward, that, that's what it was. But it was still pretty fun to see. I just got a huge kick out of it. So that was great. But the episode overall, it got off to a solid enough start, but it wasn't quite as great as I was hoping it would. This was a Supergirl-centric episode, so some of the big things that happened was um, Superman, who was on planet Argo after the events of the last crossover, uh, raising his son, Jonathan. And that Earth, that Earth gets destroyed, or that world gets destroyed as the monitor wave comes, but uh, the monitor is able to save Superman and Lois and their baby. But Supergirl's Earth and Universe does get destroyed and they get transported over to Earth-1, which is where the Arrowverse with Flash, Green Arrow, and all the others are set, are located in. And But before that happens, they were trying to get enough people off of their Supergirl's Earth over to that Earth. And there was this big tower that was keeping the monitor wave at bay, but Oliver, Barry, Supergirl, Superman, and... Oliver's daughter from the future, <laughs> which if you haven't been kept up with Arrow, you might be wondering who she is, but that's something that's been happening over the course of two seasons on Arrow, but his daughter from the future is now in the present. And here's my big thing with 
my issue with this episode. There was some cool action scene when you see Oliver, Barry, Supergirl, and Superman, and his own Batwoman, who was in this episode, all in an action sequence. That makes for some cool uh, action in the episode. Um, but here's the thing. This whole season of Arrow has been setting up, like Barry, that Oliver has to die in the crisis. And Oliver's going to die to wrap up his series on Arrow. That's been a big thing they've been hinting at since the last crossover. And we get it in this first episode, which was surprising. And I don't think it would have been bad, but how it was handled was very anticlimactic. Um, Oliver, before Supergirl's Earth gets destroyed, the monitor transports everyone out of it. But Oliver stops him by shooting like an electronic energy arrow at the monitor to shut down his suit so he couldn't transfer Oliver because Oliver's trying to buy more time so they can get enough people off of Supergirl's Earth to his Earth as he can. And he's... I'm expecting this big heroic death. He's fighting off these shadow monsters that are attacking. And we're going to see him make a last stand. He gets hit. He gets shot with an energy wave or something. But he keeps going. He keeps firing his arrows to buy time. But we don't see any of that. He just, like, jumps into the action and it goes into the commercial. And when it comes back, we see him transported from the monitor. His body's all beat up. He's ready to die. And he gives his death speech sitting in the bunker in... It was like, wait, what happened here? Like, how did he get, you know how he got this way. But for a character as big as Oliver, the one who kicked off this whole Arrow universe, you want to see him go out in a blaze of glory and actually see that happening. And they didn't. I was like, and he dies at the end of the episode. And I was like, oh, man, this is pretty anticlimactic for Arrow, for Oliver to go out this way where we don't even see it happen. We just see the aftermath of it and him saying goodbye. And he doesn't even say goodbye to a lot of the main characters from his own show, like John Diggle and other characters that he's been with for so many years. He said goodbye. Barry was there. Supergirl was there. Kate was there. But, you know, I I think Barry's been there. You know, obviously one of his closest friends since season two. But for the others, it just didn't have that same emotional impact. And his daughter was there, but she was just introduced uh, in last season. And he's just barely getting to know her this season. So... Didn't have the emotional weight I was hoping for. So, again, this is a show in a universe where people come back from the dead all the time. And we'll get into that in the next few episodes. But the way it was handled here and how they were really implying this is it for Oliver. Like, man, this was pretty anticlimactic for how it was handled. And for not even being in one of technically his episodes because this was considered a Supergirl show. So um, that was kind of my big issue with the first part. But it was still entertaining. But going into the second one, which is the Batwoman-centered episode, this one was exactly what I was hoping for for Crisis. I love this episode because this really (laughs) pounded in the guest cameos and the cool references because this is the one that had Tom Welling back as Clark, Brandon Ralph back as Superman, and of course, the live-action debut of Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne. And none of them disappointed. I loved everything about those sequences and when they were involved in this episode and thankfully those three or mainly clark tom willing as clark was just one scene but brandon routh as superman and kevin conroy as, as bruce wayne they made up the majority of this episode and man i just i had a smile throughout my face throughout almost the entire episode anytime we were centered on those characters i just couldn't believe what i was seeing it was awesome so starting off first with tom willing back as clark that was fun. Really, it was really cool to see. And here, I just to do a little setup for the episode. The monitor brought in Lex Luthor 
to be part of this team <laughs> to stop the crisis. He says he has a role to play, even though no one sees it yet. And what he does, he gets defines the book of destiny, if I remember right, is what it's called, which is able to alter reality, which is what happened in last year's crossover Elseworld. So Lex gets that book and he wants to use it to kill every Superman on every Earth, which is, of course, a very Lex thing to do. And that's what he's doing. And so he makes his way to the Smallville universe. Um, but first, it was um, the other heroes are trying to find the paragons uh, to, that are needed to, dis- to stop this crisis. And one of them is a Superman who beyond who has lost everything, but yet hasn't given up hope. They have to find the specific Superman. So uh, the Supergirl Superman and Iris, they go to find first stop at Smallville. <laughs> That's where they find Tom Welling. But before they're able to talk to him about what's going on, Luthor comes with the book and zaps them, transports them away from that Earth. And we get a really cool conversation between Tom Welling as Clark and John Cryer's Lex Luthor. It would have been cool if it was Michael Rosenbaum's Lex. They were trying to get him involved, but things didn't work out. But John Cryer does such a great job of his Lex Luthor in this universe. It was made for a great sequence seeing Clark go up, talk with Lex here. But the big thing is that Clark in Smallville Universe gave up his powers. He is no longer Superman after 10 years. He wanted to start a family with Lois. He has two daughters, and that's why he gave it up. But just seeing Tom Welling back in the shoes of Clark Kent, it was like he never left. He just picked up on it so well, naturally, of how you expect him to be as Clark 10 years later. And just his dialogue with Lex, it just felt really, really cool to hear him talk to Lex again. <laughs> Even though, like I said, it wasn't Michael Rosenbaum, it's, it was still cool to see this version of Clark talking to a Lex Luthor and kind of putting him in his place here. There's a great moment where Lex has kryptonite and he's trying to use it on him. And Tom, this has no effect on him. And Tom Welling just grabs it, casually throws it away. <laughs> and as Lex is about to punch him, Clark stops it and this sucker punches um, Lex in the face. He just goes, hmm, still stronger than you. <laughs> that effect. It was just really cool to see him in that element again. That Erica Durant's back as Lois. She had a very small part in it, but just seeing them together was really great. So I was happy with how they brought Tom Welling in the small uni- Smallville universe back again. It was a short, it was just one scene, but they made the most of what they had. And that was really great. It was just fun to see those characters back 10 years later and seeing what has happened with them and just back in that universe again was great after so long. So that was just a really nice touch. But one of the big highlights was seeing Brendan Rouse back as Superman. And boy, I was for Superman returns. I always, I loved his Clark Kent, but his Superman I thought was good, but not great and not as good as his Clark. But I think that mainly has to do with the material he was given and that Superman suit that <laughs> I don't think was the best. But here, seeing him back as Clark Clark again, which, again, he was great as, and back as Superman, acting more like a Superman than he ever did in Superman Returns, Brandon Routh was just great. I mean, I always wanted to see him get another shot at playing Superman again, and the fact he did in this episode... It was amazing. He was great. Talk, as I said, Tom Welling didn't skip a beat returning back to playing Clark. I think that applies even more so with Brandon Routh because he just nails the character of Superman here. It it was awesome. And it is the same Superman from Superman Returns. They make references to his son, which, you know, take it, <laughs> love that aspect or hate it. That is something that was established in that universe and they use that to confirm this is that same Superman. And they go into details of what happened 
to make him more like the Kingdom Come version of Superman, which is what his costume is based off. And man, that costume looks amazing seen in live action. And Brendan Routh just pulls it off so well. It was just great. And they make notice that he's lost Lois. He lost Perry White because he's editor-in-chief now of the Daily Planet. And they make reference to what happened that pretty much it was the Joker setting off his gas in the Daily Planet and killing everyone except Superman. But he persevered beyond that. He was that paragon they were looking for, the Superman who has lost, has nothing left to lose, but continues on to have hope. um, The Brendan Routh Superman was that character. But um, Lex jumps in and he's able to take control of him a little bit with the Book of Destiny. And then we get a Superman versus Superman fight. Brandon Routh Superman versus Tyler Hoshin's Superman. And the the one negative about this is that the effects were just pretty darn bad. <laughs> Seeing them go <laughs> up against each other flying over Metropolis. It was just uh, <laughs> kind of took away from how cool it could right. have been. It, it would have been better if it was just kind of like a fist fight type thing. I know they wanted to show off Superman's powers, but when your effects budget isn't great, it just takes away from it. (laughs) But Speaking of which, um, I do have to criticize the Mandalorian. This is my one Mm. criticism, Tim. It's not a big one. It's not going to change the way I think (laughs) about how the Mandalorian, but uh, the CGI in episode... I, I can't remember which episode it was. It was the one with uh, on Tatooine. Okay, episode one five. The speeders. Yeah, when mm. on the speeders, that did not look good. See, it did. I'll say it didn't look great like the movies would, but at the same time, it didn't look horrible to me. You just it was noticeable where it was a TV budget, not a movie budget. That's how I looked. Yeah, at it. Yeah. yeah, of course. And yeah. uh, one other thing um, is. Uh, Baby Yoda. Uh, it, it's it, especially with this episode that came out. What is it? Episode six, mm-hmm. Tim. This this past Friday. Um, there were there were a couple of scenes where it it looked like they were just holding a doll, like like the the Baby Yoda doll that's gonna come out in May. Um. Uh, see, I could take you criticizing just, speeder bikes, but I I can't take you criticizing Baby Yoda game. <laughs> I will not have it. <laughs> I mean the, the 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 Baby Yoda when he's emoting or she's mm-hmm. emoting. Uh, that's a he. They specified that when. Oh, that's a he. Yeah. Uh, when he's emoting, it looks really good. It looks like a practical effect. Um, it doesn't look like CGI, but it's just when. You know they're they're blocking the face and they're they're holding him, uh, especially when that Bill Burr character was holding him. They you could tell okay that's a that's just a prop. I mean yeah, I, I, I I know it is right it is, mm-hmm. but it it that there's just certain scenes where it's like okay that's just a prop, but beyond that be, beyond that I like Baby Yoda. Um. I, I really like how it seems like he's just a practical effect. Uh, effect, it's not digital Yoda in um, uh, Avenger the Sith, right? Or yeah. clone uh, Attack of the Clones. Sorry, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's it's a little it's 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 a practical effect, and I appreciate that. 
Uh, but the speeders <laughs> that did not look good when they were going over hills and stuff. Is it, it? It looked like a looked like a ride at Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what you mean, but at the same time, it didn't yeah. really take me out, especially the no, no, movies. totally not. It, it does not take you out of the story. Uh, it doesn't take you out of the show. It's just, yeah. it's just like, hey, that's a doll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. So. Uh, that's a lot of green screen to do that. Yeah, it didn't yeah. take me out like not like the Superman versus Superman fight did. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, right. it was pretty. Like, it was rough. I'm not gonna lie. It's probably my biggest critique about this episode. So it should so have been an awesome weakest, fight. Yeah. What well, What was the weakest scene that you saw? What happened in the in the in, in that scene? And just the way they were fighting over Metropolis. You could just these digital characters that you know they didn't even try to make look realistic. Where they're flying and punching each other, it just yeah. You know, and they try to not have any close-up shots. They try to be zoomed out as much as you po- as possible, so you're not <laughs> seeing their face. But right. still, it was uh, <laughs> like as cool. I know they want to showcase a big Superman versus Superman brawl, but when it looks like that, you're better off keeping it very small scale and just having it be close quarters based fight. Because at the end of the fight, they go back into the Daily Planet and. Brandon Ralph Superman is firing his laser beam. Oh, Tim, can I say one more thing before I forget? Okay. Um, It was really good to see, or really nice to see, Falafel Guy from Batman Begins in the Mandalorian. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Flask from Batman Begins was in. Really? uh, In this uh, past episode of The Mandalorian. Are you talking about. Yeah, falafel guy, right? Oh, I thought you were talking about the falafel vendor, but you're talking no, about no, Flash no. who ordered uh, the falafel. Yeah, yeah, okay, falafel yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah the same. With the okay, curly hair, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, wait, did somebody else play Flash? Yeah, I was going to ask you the same thing. Did the, <laughs> did the falafel guy and Flash both be in the same episode? Yeah. <laughs> but, no, yeah. It was, at yeah. first, I was like, oh, I know his face. Where is he from? Like, oh, yeah, Flash. <laughs> yeah. I call him falafel guy. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, that was the best part of the fight is when they weren't fighting pretty much. <laughs> of the super, they were just standing talking. Yeah. <laughs> but, <In an> alley. <laughs> yeah, Lois is able to get uh, Brandon Routh Superman out of Lex's control, and you know they get Lex captured. But so that was Lex's role to kind of get them to the Superman they needed to find. So that was great, and just again, Brandon Routh back Superman did not disappoint this costume looked amazing so i'm glad he stuck around like it wasn't the smallville or the tom Welling cameo where he know is one and done and then as i'll get to with kevin conroy but he was part of the team and he was gonna be in the next episode but that brings us to the big event <laughs> as great as those others were you know what i was looking forward to the most the live action debut of bruce wayne or kevin conroy playing bruce wayne and so the point of it is that the monitor tells them the battle of the future is one of the paragons. And so Kate and Supergirl go out to look for him. They go to, I forget the exact Earth number, but it's a Gotham in the future. And Bruce is old. And it's not the Batman Beyond universe, that's for sure. Uh, because he's pretty much being taken care of by Luke Fox, who is in the Batwoman series. And I haven't been watching Batwoman, so I'm not too sure how his character has been portrayed there. But for the most part, it looked like it was a different portrayal of Luke Fox in this one. And this Bruce Wayne portrayal was a surprise for me because 
Um, they set it up as he's just retired from crime fighting. Too many injuries. He's in that bodysuit, which is what Bruce was wearing in Kingdom Come. And seeing that in live action was great. A lot of Kingdom Come references <laughs> with Brandon around Superman's costume and then Bruce Wayne's outfit here. Uh, but man, as they, as Kara and Kate enter Wayne Manor and Luke Fox tell them, you know, they got to leave. But then you just hear that iconic voice. You don't even see him yet. You just hear the voice and immediately you get a grin on your face. But then you see him come down. They call him Bruce and he starts talking and reacts. It's just, you know, it was kind of surreal, to be honest, seeing Kevin Conroy as a live action Bruce Wayne with that amazing voice. It was talking about Batman and DC Universe stuff and everything that he's been through. It was just, it was quite the sight to behold. I loved every minute of it. But here's the big surprise that I wasn't expecting. This Bruce Wayne didn't turn out good. <laughs> he actually developed to be kind of a villain. It reminded me, I would even say they even threw in some uh, Ben Affleck versions of Batman in here a little bit. And a little bit of the Thomas Wayne from Flashpoint. I'll kind of mix into what this Bruce Wayne has become, where he actually became a killer. Um, he talks about how once you go down, that Bruce has always said, and why he doesn't ever want to take a life. Once you step into that, to that, if I can talk, once you step into that abyss, there's no coming back from it. You're just going to do it again and again, and that's what he does. That's what he's becoming here. When he loses hope and feels like this is the only necessary step to get rid of crime and do what needs to be done. He's going to continue on doing it, which is killing the criminals. And he had this display, not in the Batcave, but in his office, a little Batman Beyond nod, maybe, where he has these trophies of the iconic items and devices and stuff that you recognize from the different villains. Um, you see like Riddler's cane, uh, Mr. Freeze's uh, a ballerina glass that is used for his wife. All that was there. And then car is looking at it he sees a pair of glasses which makes her think it's clark and yes batman and superman did have a fight in this universe and batman kills kills superman here with kryptonite and the reason he's in this robotic suit uh, is because superman did it to him in his fight so i love that whole element being thrown into this bruce's history here and even though it was kind of strange to see this version of bruce and i didn't have a problem with it because this is one of hundreds of infinite Earths, so there's going to be different versions of Bruce and Batman. That's going to be, you know, not quite as good in the Batman we all know and love. But Kevin Conroy played it brilliantly as this kind of twisted, evil Bruce Wayne here. And I wouldn't say evil; just the Bruce Wayne who went down the dark path and became a killer, and who lost who lost hope. So, but this hearing him deliver that dialogue of fighting Clark. And what needed to be done. It was just really cool to hear Kevin Conroy deliver that. And they eventually go into the Batcave, which is all you know, full of dust and cobwebs. And we see the Bat Batman suit hanging there, full of dust and everything. But just seeing Kevin Conroy buy a live action Bat suit, it was just so cool. And just hearing him talk about everything that's happened in his life since then. And that's where I think they made a BVS reference where he's talked about. Um, Clark's parents teaching him a lesson, how his parents taught him a different lesson. He didn't say the exact line, we're dying in the gutter. <laughs> but he was, it was implying, I think, they were making a BVS reference here, where that this eventually could have been what that Ben Affleck version of Batman would become if he killed Superman and continued going down this dark path. So um, this, again, Kevin Conroy's performance was just so, so cool. Um, the outcome, I wish didn't happen the way it did, because he had kryptonite. He was going to use it to kill Supergirl there, knowing that She's probably going to, you know, potential another Superman that needs to be uh, 
taken off the board, so to speak. And that was another parallel to BVS, I think, is his reasoning for, you know, wanting to <laughs> or not trusting and believing in Superman and wanting to kill him there in this universe. But Kate's able to stop him um, and protects her. But in doing that, he like knocks Bruce into this electrical panel and it, with that high tech suit he has, it electrocutes him and Bruce ends up dying in this universe. So that was something that I wish didn't happen. It would have been cool if kind of seen Kate again, because Kate is dead in this universe and he was surprised to see her. So maybe if seen her again, could have brought him a little optimism or hope for the future, maybe change his ways. But again, going back to that point where if you go into that abyss, there's no coming back from it. So there might've been no hope for this Bruce Wayne after all, but um, his purpose kind of was to show that Kate is the paragon of courage was her role and just kind of giving her the courage to not become what this Bruce Wayne has become and become a better hero for that. So that was kind of the role he served. But again, Kevin Conroy just, oh, it was so cool <laughs> seeing him as a live action Bruce Wayne. And I would love it if they bring this Bruce back into the Batwoman series where played by Kevin Conroy, even if he is older, but you know, not this twisted darker version of Batman that kills and not messed up and needs a bodysuit, but just the regular Bruce Wayne coming back. I think it'd be great to see him as more of a traditional Bruce because Kate pretty much recognized him as the same Bruce from her earth, but of course just acting different. So he should look like Kevin Conroy. So that makes me hopeful that if they ever decide to bring Bruce Wayne into the Batwoman show, and thus in the Arrowverse, it will be Kevin Conroy. And that would be amazing, knowing that in the Arrow universe, Kevin Conroy was the Batman there. So it was just cool all around. This episode delivered on so much of what I was hoping for for Crisis. These cool cameos, uh, return of uh, these classic versions of these characters with Brendan Ralph and Tom Welling playing Superman. And of course, Kevin Conroy as Batman. They just... Knocked it out of the park. I loved it so much. So they did a great job on this episode. and Exactly what I was hoping for, for Crisis. The only downside of this in, in, part two, in part three is the side quest of Oliver trying to get resurrected. Oliver's daughter and Barry, uh, they're not accepting his death. They want to bring him back. So they bring him to a Lazarus pit with Constantine. And he gets in there, but he comes back, you know, crazy you get after being revived with the Lazarus pit. And but they need to find his soul to make him normal. So that's what the third episode <laughs> subplot was about, getting off Oliver's soul back. And that just feels, ve- it feels very rushed and just thrown in there and just trying to set things up. There is a little too much going on maybe in the third episode because you're throwing in, you're bringing in Black Lightning into this. You're bringing the old 90s Barry Allen flash, which was the highlight of that episode, which I'll get to shortly. And just setting up more of what the anti-monitor is going to do with our heroes. But for Oliver... They're pretty much setting up he's going to become the Spectre in the Arrowverse. We'll see if it's just for Crisis or if that is his ultimate fate. And the final episode of Arrow is going to be him becoming the Spectre. But they're setting that up here. I think it's cool, but we'll see how long it lasts to see if it's something they're going to really end his arc on or if it's just a temporary thing for his part in Crisis. So we'll see. But the highlight of part three was... Barry Allen accepting that he has to die in crisis. That, that was this, has been the setup for season six of Flash this year and how he has to sacrifice himself, just like Flash did in the comics, uh, to stop the crisis. And it looks like that was going to happen, but they go into this layer where the, temp- the anti-monitor is having uh, dispersing the anti-monitor wave across the universes. And what's powering it is the old 90s Barry Allen Flash is running on a treadmill, keeping it up. And 
actually kind of keeping it at bay, if I remember right, because he goes, he asked after they rescue him, he has to be put on that a treadmill to keep it at bay. So, but Barry, the current Flash of the the CW Flash, Barry Allen decides this is the moment he has to sacrifice himself to destroy this machine and save his world. And he's prepared to do that, but that's where the 90s Flash, Barry Allen, steps in and says, no, I'm the Barry Allen that is foretold that has to die in this crisis. It said Barry Allen. It didn't say which Barry Allen. And he's temporarily uh, not knocks out Flash, but disables him with the Speed Force to get him back on the treadmill there to stop the anti-monitor wave. And it was a nice send-off for the 90s Flash. And that series only lasted one season, so it didn't imagine get a proper send-off but it was cool they showed a clip from the old series with uh barry allen and i forget the character's name but his love interest in that series um before he makes the ultimate sacrifice as the flash does in crisis and saves that earth for a little bit but um ends up destroying that anti-monitor wave but um sacrificing himself in the process so the current Barry Allen is safe from crisis for now, but I imagine uh, probably for the foreseeable future that he's, he's not going to perish in crisis like we all thought. That was the purpose of the 90s Flash. But it was cool that that version of the character got a send, nice send-off like he did here. So, But um, Earth-1 eventually gets destroyed by the Anti-Monitor, and there are no universes left. And the remaining heroes on uh, the ship from Legends of Tomorrow... Uh, they get betrayed by Lila Diggle's wife from Arrow, who, who is Harbinger in this uh, a big character, obviously, from the comic, but she's playing Harbinger in this crossover. She's been controlled by the anti-monitor and brings him to the ship. He's able to take out the good monitor, and the re- but before the monitor transports a few heroes to, I forget the exact name of it, but to this place between like space and time that the anti-monitor can't get to and it's kind of cut off from the regular portions of the universe well they'll be safe but there's only a handful left it's just barry allen's flash brandon Routh's superman um oliver's daughter mia um the, the, another hero they went to get after was the other adam um, i forget his real name but the second adam not uh, ray palmer but one of the other the adam that came after him he's there and uh, i know i'm probably forgetting someone but um if it comes to me, I'll remember. But the big thing... That I, ha- I know who it is. It's not so, Plastic uh, Man. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Booster Gold. Was it he Booster be- Gold in Crisis? I don't remember. He might have been an actual guy. It's been years since I read the comics. So yeah. I'm not... Yeah. Every, almost everyone was in that story. So I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it was. But um, the big thing that happens, though, is that I was like kind of mixed feelings on it because as Brendan Routh Superman was one of the ones that survives, he, I was, oh, cool, he's going to be one of the main heroes that we're going to see um, go on and still be a part of the story and probably get some cool actors things with him. Oh, of course, uh, here's the other two, Martian Manhunter from Supergirl and Batwoman. They're the other ones who made it through. But something starts happening to him. He doesn't feel right. And it's like this red energy starting to come out of Superman's body. He doesn't know what's happening. And then it gets revealed that Lex Luthor has taken over. <laughs> he was able not possess his body, but because it is the Lex Luthor. Superman kind of vanishes, but Lex takes his place, and he's going to be part of the team now. Who's got to save the multiverse, and which is cool because I'm glad Lex is involved. And because there has been stories where Lex plays the hero when he has to to save 
the galaxy when there's a big threat to it. And I like him in that role. But at the same time, I still wanted to see more of Brendan Routh Superman <laughs> in this story. I'm sure he'll come back in the final part. I'm sure that's where a lot of heroes are going to come back. And it's going to be this big all-out battle, which I hope they can pull off on a TV budget. But seeing the effects of that Superman-Superman fight <laughs> doesn't give me hope. <laughs> but, um, so that's where the cliffhanger left off. Just a handful of heroes with Lex taking the place of Superman to go up against the Anti-Monitor in one last stand is how these first, or the third episode ends and wraps, wraps up this first half of Crisis on Infinite Earths. So... Um, yeah, I'm really happy with it so far, mainly because of that second episode with how they handled Tom Welling, Brandon Routh, and Kevin Conroy in their big appearances in this crossover is really cool. So yeah, a lot of fan service stuff, which I'm eating up. That's a big part of what makes these crossovers so fun. And um, I'm just expecting big changes for the Arrowverse as a whole. Worlds are destroyed. Characters are dying. I'm sure some will come back. Some things will be different. So I'm curious to see what the new status quo is going to be when it wraps up, but we're going to have to wait till 2020. So, but right now I'm really uh, satisfied for the most part, besides a few disappointments here and there of how crisis on infinite Earth is shaping up. It's been a whole lot of fun. Have you uh, watched this, uh, not superhero, uh, Batwoman show? No, I have unfortunately uh, haven't. There's just too much stuff out there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Between uh, you know, Watchmen, Mandalorian, other shows. <laughs> I'm only able to watch Flash and Arrow with the CW shows. There's just too many of those ones. So, What about the other um, uh, Disney Plus originals? Have you watched any of those? The only one that I just started watching was the story of the Imagineers for Disneyland. Oh, I watched I the first episode. That's been really great. It's a cool documentary. So i want to see the other stuff they have i think they have four or five out right now oh. so looking forward to watching the rest of that but other than that no <laughs> none of their none other of their originals i've seen i see um speaking of which i did subscribe to apple tv oh, because, of that, <laughs> because of that because of one show uh, right yeah the uh servant okay and is it worth your subscription it is. Okay, it's, yeah, it's well. a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's worth it. That that uh, that Steve Carell show. I thought I was gonna like it. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely a different role for him. Okay, <laughs> it's not Michael Scott. <laughs> um, no, it's not. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, why don't we talk about uh, Watchmen? Yes, let us because not well. It should take too long because nothing really big happened in these last two episodes, huh? Oh, of course not. <laughs> Only a, uh, some guy walked into a bar and yeah. <laughs> hit on some woman. Yeah, that's it. That was the entire episode, literally. <laughs> but a god walked literally. into a bar. Sorry. Uh, and I liked how when the actual episode, it's titled "A God Walks Into a Bar," the last name of Angela. A bar, so <laughs> oh yeah, is is that where she got her last name from, or it, is that her family? Because because why would she why wouldn't she be called Angela Reeves, right? Yeah, or maybe that's the the grandmother's name. Yeah, see, I don't I don't remember if they said her her last name at all. If that was her, her grandmother's last name first or not? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and like speaking of the grand the the, the grandma. I, I was I was wondering if Angela was lying about her 
her past mm-hmm. because I was like, okay, oh, so she she left the orphanage and she was being raised by her grandma then in Oklahoma. Did she move back to Vietnam or something? But mm-hmm. it didn't yeah. turn out that way. Yeah. <laughs> she she didn't did not leave Vietnam. I gotta say, for episode seven, following yeah. up the great hooded justice origin story episode it was right. a great follow-up to uh, another origin story for angela though and seeing what her childhood and past was like and how it would shape her to be uh, yeah the vigilante sister knight and i thought that was really well done i mean she had a tragic backstory too which was sad to see but it makes total sense of how it shaped her to the character we see her at the beginning of the show so that was just a great episode leading up to the big events that happened at the end right right i also like how they did the um is it nostalgia? It's nostalgia, right? Yeah, the pill. She she's still suffering from the after effects of the nostalgia, and I like how they blend Will's memories with her memories. Mm. I just thought that was a really cool effect. Oh yeah, it was, oh, man, just it's just so well done. The show, the storytelling, yeah. and the pacing and editing of how it is, especially these last two. It's or I should say last three. Yeah, this has been so and, good. And also, I, I I did not know this. I didn't think of this but um you remember how angela was connected to the elephant mm-hmm. uh so apparently lady true is a I, and i don't know if you know this tim do, do you know about lady true i mean i'm looking at a few things here and there to try to solve the mystery of speculation that people have but yeah so like lady true was like a vietnamese folklore right okay she, she rode an elephant that. yeah she mm. rode an elephant okay so, and i think if, an elephant is part of their logo for a company right i think so i remember right, seeing yeah, that yeah. highlighted and I then so. there's a speculation of that her father might be adrian Vite, which i could totally see and i there's when he's having that conversation with dr lady trues yeah Probably. uh-huh no. He, because when I think Doctor Manhattan asked him, like, "How'd you know I was on Europa?" I think that was the question he asked. And then he goes, "A white elephant told me, or a little white elephant told me, something to that effect." Yeah, where you're to pick up what's Lady True. So, right. Plus, right. she has that statue of him in her office. So <laughs> there's some connection she has with Adrian White. Also, I, I mean, this is like a. This isn't my theory. Uh, I just heard this, and I thought it—I thought it was a really good theory about what the that clock is for. Uh huh. That Millennium Clock or whatever it's called. Yeah. I think it's gonna sort of make everyone not a superhero, but like Doctor Manhattan. You think so? Yeah, because you you see how. You know, she's there to, I mean, she admits she's there to stop the 7th Cavalry and save the world, right? Yeah. And so, like, the 7th in A God Walks Into a Bar, the next episode, uh, Dr. Manhattan, quote-unquote, dies, right? Mm. (laughs) Um, And they're going to make Keen, Senator Keen, a Dr. Manhattan-esque person. Yeah. Right? So That's his goal. I think they're. I think what she's gonna do is she's gonna sort of like do the reverse of Adrian, but instead of you know massacre, I think she's gonna make everybody that equal 
to Keen, mm. you know, and the Seventh Cavalry. I, I assume, you know, people from the Seventh Cavalry are, you know, going to do the same thing Keen is going to do. Yeah. See, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, he wants to stop them from yeah. getting his powers, but I just don't know what that's going to entail. That's an interesting way to look at it to give everyone those powers to put everyone on an even playing field. Yeah. But I think if that happens, people are just going to end up destroying the world with all that power. So I right. don't think they'd want to do that when they're trying to save it. So I was going to be interested to see what exactly that does. Is it just going to be something that transports Dr. Manhattan somewhere or prevents that machine that the seventh cavalry has to stop them from taking his powers. It's going to be interesting, but there's still that element of in episode four, when we got the introduction to lady true, when she uh, buys that house from those, that couple on the farm. And there's that, that, I don't know, meteor or <laughs> rock or something that crashes on their land. Still want yeah, to know what, what that is. The, the, um, what was the, the lady's name? Uh, Lois Kent. It was something Kent yeah. Yeah. or Clark. Yeah, but... I, mean, the last, I think their last name was Clark. Yeah, Lois Clark or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Lois, but <laughs> <laughs> something on the nose where you knew they were referencing Superman. Right, right. But yeah, um, a great episode. Uh, a God Walks Into a Bar. Um, Man. <laughs> I, I really liked how they did the time thing. Yeah, it was uh, flawless. It really was. Yeah. Like I said, it was episode was literally the whole time two people talking in a bar, but yet so much happened right. <laughs> while they were talking. It was yeah, crazy. They, they did it in such a way where you could kind of understand what Dr. Manhattan was talking about when he says how, or he explains how he experiences time, where it's mm-hmm. like he's popping in and out. And I like that little twist at the end was like that she gave Will the idea, or uh, Angela gave Will the idea that uh, Judd was a clan member mm-hmm. or yeah. uh, some cavalry member. Yeah, the whole even Doctor Manhattan says the chicken and the egg thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, they existed at the same time, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was just like you like you said, just the perfect way of showing how Doctor Manhattan experiences life, pretty much in time, right. just all at once. It was just crazy good, but we got to talk about the big twist at the end of episode seven leading into episode eight about Cal being Dr. Manhattan. I mean, oh, yeah. How shocked were you <laughs> when that happened? Um, to, if, if I said that I had any kind of suspicion that Cal was Dr. Manhattan, I'd be a liar because <laughs> they buried that super good. Yeah. Um, I, I did wonder in that episode, I, I did wonder why why are they showing Cal in the beginning of this episode? I remember thinking that, but I thought he was going to break Angela out or something. I didn't mm-hmm. expect Yeah, him, uh, Nothing that would make you think about Dr. Manette. <laughs> yeah, and then man, that ending is like it, it's time to come out now. Yeah. <laughs> Angela hits him on the side of the head with the hammer and takes out the thing from his from his skull. Um and you see, at first I was I was like, man, what like what just happened here? And at first I was worried, like, oh man, poor Cal, is he just this innocent guy that doesn't know what's going on? And this device is where 
Dr. Manhattan really is and he's coming yeah. out of him, but Cal had no idea and now he's dead and like poor guy. But right, it right. Definitely wasn't that. It just so much better at how they it played out. But like I said, if I think now if you maybe go back and watch the first few episodes and anything with Cal, you maybe might pick up hints about him being Dr. Manhattan, but over the course the books, of this, I, I, I think it's the books for some reason that he's reading because they always show the title. That's true. Yeah. From I don't remember what they say, but I think you yeah. have a point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like they always show the book. So I think it has something to do with the book, but they buried that so deep that nobody could figure that out. Nope. I mean, <laughs> I thought he was just a background character, uh, a hop, uh, uh house husband i don't know what you call it mm. um you know and it, it, it was clear that angela ran that family and she was the breadwinner and cal was just taking care of the kids and reading a lot of books <laughs> yeah <laughs> for most of the day because it, i don't think you ever find out what he do, what he did for a living yeah right? i don't think yeah i think you're right yeah I, th- I think he just took care of the kids stayed at home cleaned the house well angela went out and made the money. Was a police officer. Was a was a vigilante. Um, so yeah, uh, they they buried that so so well. <laughs> sure did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just thought they're gonna have you know Doctor Manhattan because they showed the tease of Doctor Manhattan in the trailer. Just think, oh, he's gonna come back from Mars or wherever he was at to you know fulfill whatever purpose he needed to in the story. But the fact that he's such a central figure now of this whole story and with Angela that they had a relationship together. It just, he's so important now to the series that it's just crazy how they made it all work. And at first I was a little, you know, wasn't sure how it was going to be, man, it's just Dr. Manhattan. His only role is that he just likes another girl. <laughs> and then that's why he decides to come back. <laughs> I think it's a little more than that, Tim. Yeah. I was kind of worried when they sorry. established, that him and Angela had a relationship, but it was a lot more deeper than that. Thankfully, it just works yeah. so so well. Yeah, I like the end of uh, episode eight where oh, he's man. like, "No, I was right." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. and then that seventh cavalry guy just evaporates him or whatever. That whole action sequence was so cool. Just first off with Angela just taking out all the seventh cavalry members yeah. with her weapon and using their truck and their yeah. automatic rifles against them. It was just really cool. But when Dr. Manhattan came out, blue and glowing, <laughs> just yeah. casually evaporating everyone as Dr. Manhattan does, it was just really cool to see. Man, so good. And the music, too, that went with it. It all worked for an amazing ending sequence. But what it was one of those things where... Things happen have to happen the way to do, and he still gets shocked by that beam, and obviously transported to the headquarters of the Seventh Cavalry, and that's we're gonna pick up on episode eight, and like or episode nine, I should say, for the finale. And like, man, I just can't wait to see how it all wraps up, because I have obviously without the show, it's full of surprises, keeps you at the edge of your seat, and unexpected things happen, and I expect the same for the finale, where you gotta expect the unexpected. So I can't wait, right. but. I just got to give major, major props to, if I could say his name right, Yaha okay. Abdul Mateen II. I mean, I, I think it's Yaya, right? Yaya. Okay. Yeah. Abdul Mateen. Yeah. So, I apologize for the mispronunciation, but man, he's did a great job playing Dr. Manhattan. Both yeah, he did. 
just when he's having that conversation with Angela in the bar behind that fake party mask of Dr. Manhattan. And then as, you know, looking like Cal as, but still playing Dr. Manhattan and then full on blue makeup and the energy coming out of him as Dr. Manhattan. It was just, he did a great job. I mean, you were not expecting him as an actor in these first few episodes to have such a big and important role, but he pulled it off so well. I mean, I just love the conversation he had too with Adrian when he goes um, to his Antarctic <laughs> lair that we know from the end of Watchmen. And just the conversation they have there was just great to see. It just felt like you were seeing a conversation between Dr. Manhattan and Adrian Veidt, even though he obviously was in the human form now. <laughs> he just did a great job. And the idea that he has, or the fact I should say that he has two great comic book roles as Black Manta and now Dr. Manhattan, that's just a major feather in his cap <laughs> for me anyway. Just, he right. did a great job. Yeah, and I hate to bring it up again, Tim, because I know you love it, but that was one of my biggest criticisms of the Watchmen film was I didn't think they handled Dr. Manhattan and his story very well. Really? Yeah. Even though they pretty much followed it to a T, besides him being the... It was the acting. It, it, it was the acting, and they didn't add, uh, again. They didn't add anything to it. Um, but I feel like Yaya Abdul Mateen. <laughs> sorry, I, I just had to look up his name real quick. So yeah, you have to. I felt that he had his own spin to it, right? It 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 was his own unique thing, rather than just. Reciting lines from a comic book, you know. Mm. No, not, maybe like, maybe it was because the writing was better. Maybe it's because uh, Yaya Abdul Mateen is a better actor than um, is it Billy Crudup? I think so, but I'm, yeah, I'm blanking on the name too. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I I think it's 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 they they, they nailed the performance and the writing of Dr. Manhattan. I just I just think they did they did a really, really good job. I could appreciate both because again, I liked how literal yeah. the adaption was for the movie. They didn't change anything. It was a great portrayal. What is in the comic? But and then with this one, continuing on the story, just how a great job they're doing with this different type of performance and adding things that um needed to be added for the character for the story. So I just love both. <laughs> I just think it's a good continuation for what we got before. Yeah. Also, I was reading the, the Wikipedia page, Tim, and uh, I, I'm just wondering, uh, do, do you, uh, th there was a lot of controversy because people were upset that Rorschach in the show is being treated as, you know, this right wing, extreme right wing yeah role model right mm. and people don't like that because it doesn't show him as a hero because for whatever reason you know yeah do, do you agree with that do you see him as a hero because i've never seen him as a hero i just I, thought yeah go i ahead. think he really fit the more anti-hero <laughs> description because he wanted to do good and protect you know the innocent people just in his own way that necessarily wasn't very heroic like and his views were kind of pretty out there also so <laughs> i think deep down he was someone who wanted to protect the innocent and do good but yet 
he was all messed up and some of his views were like i said kind of out there and to me i think i said this when we talked about the first episode how it makes sense that the extremists kind of would take that and use and kind of because they go too far for obviously for what i think rorschach's views are and they take it to the extreme and it's kind of i hate seeing it be used that way but yet i think it makes sense that those right wings white supremacist extremists would take that and kind of use that as their rallying cry or um, role models, so to speak, to do what they do. I just think they're misinterpreting it and just taking it too far from what Rorschach would ever do. So um, that's kind of how I always took it, where I hate seeing it, but yet it makes sense that there are yeah. those who would use what he uh, did and like what he wrote in his journal too to take it to that extreme. Yeah, and I guess the the thing is, is Rorschach is a right wing character, right? Yeah. Mm. He is a conservative character. Um, and I just, I, I just don't see him as a hero. I just don't think he's a hero. Definitely don't agree with what he's, what he says. I mean, did, have you read Watchmen recently? Not recently. He, say, but... <laughs> he says some pretty object, objectionable things about, uh, certain people and women. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I don't see him as a hero, and I don't get people that think that he's a hero. You know, I, well, yeah, I just he think, is trying I, to I save. He's just trying he's, to save the yeah. world, all these people from dying that Adrian Veidt wants to kill. <laughs> so in the end, he does, in some aspect, want to pr- protect it and help people from the. Yeah, but is it a? Does he do a heroic thing, or is he a hero? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's that's a good debate because yeah, right. I mean, he does fight criminals and help people getting hurt from criminals too. So there is a hero yeah. aspect to him. So he's definitely more complicated than just a straight up hero, anti-hero, or bad guy <laughs> type <laughs> thing. So that's what makes him great. That's why there's almost a lot of aspects to him. I just love diving into him more. Obviously, other stories we've got him since then, like the before Watchmen comic and all that. So. Um, also, I really like seeing uh, Red Scare and <laughs> Pirate Jenny in uh, episode seven. <laughs> I'm not really doing a good job of nope. you know, <laughs> <laughs> preventing anyone from seeing Angela or her escaping. <laughs> I, I like how you, I, I like how Red Scare A is always eating, and B <laughs> I like how he's eating flaming hot Cheetos with yeah. a, a fork. <laughs> Uh, oh, if you, if you if you saw that Tim, but he I didn't notice the flaming hot Cheetos, but <laughs> I did notice him always eating. He's eating it with a fork, by the way. <laughs> oh, and another big thing that was revealed, I think, it was episode seven. Thankfully, Looking Glass survived. <laughs> he oh, yeah, killed all those seven cavalry members. We just don't know where he's at, but he's not dead. Thank goodness. And I just hope he shows up for the finale. Yeah, and I still have these big questions, man. I know. Like, uh, you know, why did... If we're going to... I mean, it depends what you want to believe. Do you want to believe the comic or do you want to believe the show? Where they talk about... I mean, I mean, talking about um, Hooded Justice is world... Uh, not world. <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, origin story. Is it... 
Hooded Justices or is it the original Night Owls, right? Mm-hmm. And how come how come the Seventh Cavalry are called the Seventh Cavalry? Because uh, not Doctor Man, uh, Adrian Veidt is the only person that said that in the in the comic. Mm-hmm. I mean, was Seventh Cavalry already a thing? Or yeah, that's you know, does question. he have something to do with Seventh Cavalry? Or maybe he and, knew because they did have that video of Adrian Veidt. Which right. explained his whole thing, so maybe there's a connection there. Man, I really gotta re- reread the comic after the show. I mean, I want to watch the movie. I want to read the whole comic because I just there'll be so much stuff to pick up on <laughs> that that the series yeah. took from, and just uh, maybe get some new light on. It's, just, it's they're just adding so much to this lore, and I love it. And also, uh, go through uh, the supplemental website. Yeah, for... that's great too. Uh, for the Watchmen, PDpedia, I think it's yeah. called, <laughs> where uh, Batman is a exploitation movie mm. thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't like like uh, how Sister Night was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For some reason, I didn't, I, I couldn't put it together in my head until I saw a uh, young Angela holding the videotape. Uh huh. That it was Sister Night, as in sister, as in Catholic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, her outfit like, does kind of give it away a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had to have that explained to me, Tim. <laughs> and we also got the origins of, you know, the moon of that Adrian Veidt's on, how Dr. Manhattan created um, Mr. Phillips and Miss Crankshaw, is it? This is uh, Mr. Crook, uh, Miss Crookshanks. Okay, and Mr. Phillips, yeah. And just why he pretty much, they're his version of Adam and Eve pretty much and how he inspired yeah. them after two real people <laughs> that he, as he put it, saw creating life. <laughs> and he wanted to create um, his version of life. Based yeah, also, on that. A, a little bit of a, a little bit of a plot hole, I think. Because in, in the in the uh, in the comic, uh, John Osterman was born in America. His okay. parents had immigrated from, I guess, Germany, and he was born in America. Uh, see, I didn't remember that. Yeah, I uh, re reread uh, Watchmen recently. <laughs> that's why I could see why. Like I said, that's what I got to do. <laughs> real yeah. soon. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. That's kind of a big thing that maybe Damon Lindelof would overlook or. Decide to change, maybe it felt better for a story again. Yeah, I can't remember the exact quote, but he says something like, uh, My parents were already here for four years or something before they had me. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Maybe just something he wanted to change. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, man, I can't wait for the finale. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking. I can't wait for the finale uh, and then the. Next episode of the official Watchmen podcast where David Lindelof just goes into everything that happens. <laughs> it's, that's a great supplement to the show. It's great that he, he reads uh, like all the articles and the forums or whatever that talk about Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, um, I, I, I believe episode 9 is going to be about the uh, origin of Red Scare. We gotta do it. <laughs> we gotta do it, Ray. You know? That's- where the majority of the episode is going to take place would be about, yeah. There's a young kid in the Soviet Union. 
discovering hot cheetos for the first time yeah discovering <laughs> hot cheetos or immigrating to america um discovering hot cheetos you know <laughs> uh, i mean we don't know if Watchmen's going to get a second season which man i hope it does <laughs> but if they yeah. do focus on red scare for the next one <laughs> yeah a whole season and, dedicated to it. <laughs> and pirate jenny what's pirate jenny's story she was just a really big comic book fan. Yeah, someone who liked because, the Black Freighter. <laughs> yeah, the Black Freighter, you know. Yeah, All so see, these I, questions I, need to be answered. Yeah, so I think Red Scare, Pyrogeny, Origin Stories. The next series. The next Don't series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the spinoff. The, the, like how Game of Thrones is getting all the spinoffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forget about Looking Glass getting his own series. Pirate Jenny and Red Scare are their first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Looking Glass already got his origin story. So did Angela. Now, who does that leave? Panda? <laughs> You're right. Red when Scare. you're just talking about the costume vigilantes, they're the next <laughs> two in line. Panda, Red Scare. Oh, yeah, they forgot about Panda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Panda. Red Scare, Tired Jenny. Gotta do it. You gotta do it. Or at least do a comic book. You know, it, it make an interesting comic book. Where did Panda get the Panda helmet? Or that <laughs> mask, or whatever that is. Did, did he used to be a a, a, a Panda um, uh, not cheerleader, what do you call those things? An enthusiast? No, no. Um, uh, ah, never mind. Active panda bear activist, or a... <laughs> yeah, was he a panda bear activist? Did he care about panda bears and their slow birth rates? Um, yeah, these are all these are all questions that need to be answered now. Yeah, Red Scare. Where did he get the mask? Did did he just buy that and put holes in it? <laughs> I don't think that should be too hard to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> or was it something passed down? From the previous Red Scare, the Soviet Union Red Scare. Generation, generation, that <laughs> beanie type material mass. <laughs> oh, man. You see, there's, there's a ton of possibilities. You know, I, I just can't wait to see it, Tim. I just yeah. can't wait. To, I mean, for, forget about Dr. Manhattan and Angela and Will Reeves and Lady True and everybody. What's Red Scare up to? <laughs> These are the answers or the <laughs> questions that must be answered. An absolute must. Yeah. Uh, you know what I finally noticed, Tim? What's that? Uh, Alan Moore's name isn't on the, the end credits. <laughs> you never noticed that? That's on anything yeah. Watchmen related now. He doesn't want it there. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be associated with, especially like what, what DC is doing with, with the what is that called again? What, Doomsday uh, Clock? Before Watchmen? Or oh, Before Watchmen. Yeah. Well, uh, there are some really good stories in there. Not all of them are great, but... Yeah. Well, that's his loss, I think, because for my personal opinion, they're carrying on his story really well in this TV show and even in Doomsday Clock. But yeah. Totally different things, but still, I think, honoring what came before, especially the TV show. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of sad. But, like I said, it's all it's all his doings. So he does what he chooses. So, he well, does. not really. I mean, because I mean, I think the main reason why he's so mad is 
because he doesn't own the characters. Yeah, but and he doesn't have creative control over them, and he he's not the one that's getting the big paycheck for them. You know. Yeah, but again, he still could be getting the credit that he wants. Like they're giving it to Dave Gibbons, and it's just it kind of I, I would think anyway. You would yeah, but it's almost that. like he doesn't when even he was care about it. that. It's almost like he doesn't even care about the credit. He he just wants the what, the money. <laughs> no, not the money. He just wants like the creative control, mm-hmm. and you know. I don't know. He he wants the only character. You know, I think that's the that's the main thing. I mean, look, look at uh, Siegel and Schuster. What <laughs> yeah. happened to them? So yeah, that was a different time though, where you know it was all new with Schuster and Siegel. With Alan Moore, I, again, I don't know how it was exactly. Yeah, still, though, but... Aren't they? Aren't they still comic writers? Still considered independent? Yeah, I'm not one hundred percent sure, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't need but to go anyway. down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, I can't wait for this finale. I mean, is Doctor Manhattan really gone? I know. I see. I think I don't know if you can kill him. Been... No, he's not dead yet because we see him in the trailer for the next episode. Oh right, right. Mm-hmm. So, but but my thing is, are they going to kill him off <laughs> in the finale? And this is the end of Doctor Manhattan's story. But yes. I, I think that would take a lot of guts to do. But I could totally see it happening. <laughs> Yeah, and is Keen gonna really succeed? <laughs> That's probably one of the things where he'll succeed for a little bit, or he thinks he has the power, but can't handle it, and he like blows up or something <laughs> like that. Too much energy to contain. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, uh, the season finale is tomorrow, December fifteenth. If you um, haven't watched it yet, binge this series as soon as <laughs> oh, yeah. episode nine is up and start. I think. Any fans of comic book TV and stories are gonna love this series. Also, greatest names for episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it's summer and running out of ice. Yeah. Martial feats of command shoe horsemanship. My favorite, she was killed by space junk. Yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> if you don't like my story, write your own little fear of lightning. Uh this extraordinary being and almost religious all oh, God walks into a bar and episode nine is going to see is, is going to be called see how they fly. <laughs> see, and once the finale airs and we're back with our episode, we're obviously going to talk about it, but then we're going to have to see what was our favorite episode, which might be a little tough, but <laughs> well, if you had to pick one now, which one would it be? I think it's still going to be this extraordinary being. I just love yeah. how, you know, the story for, Hooded Justice's origin, the way it was shot, directed, the black and white, the music that plays, is a, that time period, obviously, making it a period piece and just doing a great job of showing that era. Just so everything about that episode was brilliantly done. So, yeah. Look, um, there's finally something Watchmen related we agree on, Tim. Yes. <laughs> this is the first. <laughs> this extraordinary being. I, I really like the fight scenes, the one take yeah. fight scenes, and the switching out of Angela and uh, Will. I just, I, I really like that, and the writing was superb. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's our feature topic for this episode. Um, Some more great TV. Yeah, that's been the theme for the end of 2019. <laughs> it's like, what are we gonna do when The Mandalorian ends and Watchmen ends? I know. <laughs> like, what are we gonna watch? Um, but I, 
yeah, now now we can move on to our our not our future topic, our, our news and discussion uh, section of our podcast. And again, another big piece of news. Yes, Shazam Sunday. two. Shazam oh, I'm, two. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Tim. But please don't step on my toes. <laughs> so I got respect the host. I got to respect. Yeah. The host. <laughs> uh, Shazam two, and the Flash movie have release dates, Tim. Yes, and I believe one, and still not sure about the other. <laughs> yeah. Shazam so, two, I believe, which is April first, twenty twenty two. I think yeah. that you can bet on after the success of the first movie. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just wondering why people or movie studios haven't done the two two twenty two release date. Or like video game companies, or yeah. yeah. Well, what day, is, what day is February second, twenty twenty two? Because it's well, like a maybe. Tuesday or something. I'm not sure any movies come out on a Tuesday, but let me uh, bring see. up the calendar here. I've got it right now. It's actually a Wednesday. So oh, it's a Wednesday. Movies come out on Wednesdays. Some some of them. Uh, February second. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's got to be a big marketing for something. I remember when the Dreamcast, the system came out, the big part of the marketing was nine nine ninety nine. <laughs> when it came out September 9th. Really? Yep. I don't remember that. Were you working at... Uh, I, was, I was working at Toys R Us. Oh, on, Toys on R Us. Day for the Dreamcast, yeah. Oh, I bet you sold out fast on that one. Actually, it did. The first day, we didn't... The console did sell out. And some of the yeah. big games we didn't have, but... About a month or two afterwards, we started getting steady supplies of them. <laughs> so oh. it was big on its launch. I will give it that. For some reason, I always think that that's a Nintendo uh, system. <laughs> the name is very Nintendo-like, I will say, the Dreamcast. Yeah, remember you had to put those cartridges in the controller? Yeah, there's like this big memory like card, like video memory card stick. It was like a mini Game Boy type thing. <laughs> that yeah, was a yeah. Card for it. They, did it you really utilize that? Those, what are those those Tamagotchi pets back in like the late nineties? Oh, right. That's pretty yeah, much what yeah. it was like and what it was used for. Um, I remember playing. Did I play on that? Resident Evil or was that GameCube? The remake Resident Evil. Yeah, well, that was GameCube. That never came. Uh, out Co- Code uh, Code Veronica, I think. Code Veronica was that? That might have been on the Dreamcast. But none of the remakes were. But I think Cold Veronica was, if I remember right. If I remember like, my Toys R Us days working out in the R Zone video game section and cleaning, organizing the Dreamcast, like name does sound familiar. Seeing that disc. <laughs> I'm looking up Code Veronica right now. Dreamcast did have some solid games at its launch, like Marvel vs. Capcom. The first one that was the only way you could play it on consoles for a little bit. The Dead or Alive Two, which is the first time I played that fighting game. Oh yeah, Dead or Alive Two. Yeah, that was fun. Sonic Adventure, the not the best Sonic game, but I remember seeing the graphics for the first time, blowing me away. Like, wow, Sonic never looked has never looks as good as he has now. <laughs> Ready to Rumble, the box game. That was a big launch title. I remember for that. Ready to. Oh, yeah, that was like Mike Tyson Punch-Out. Kind of. I didn't play it too much, though, but... Yeah. Was this Sega's last system? Yep, that was it. It ended in 2001, so it had a two-year run. Not too long for a console, but... (laughs) Yeah. 
well, Japan it was released in 1998, so technically three years. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> so, did you find See. Code Veronica? Is that it? Yeah. Hold on. Uh, I, I just got distracted with GameCube stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to like that Dreamcast update. No, I was trying to look up the game. Is it Eternal Nightmare? Eternal Darkness was the Eternal GameCube. Eternal Darkness, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that was the GameCube one. That was House the one of the Dead was me. a big one for the Dreamcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, I remember playing Time Crisis on it. Yeah, I forgot that was on there, too. With the light gun that came with it. Oh, so Code Veronica wasn't a re-release. I was... I, don't, I think this was a port to the Dreamcast from the PlayStation one, just upscaled with the graphics. If oh, I remember so, right. so, so it wasn't um, re-released on uh, Dreamcast? Don't believe so. Hmm. For some reason, I thought this was a remake or re-release or something. Yeah, because Dreamcast didn't really get any remakes, if I remember right. Dreamcast didn't get a lot of games. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yes, that is a fact. But what it had, still some pretty good ones. Yeah, Dreamcast, GameCube, PlayStation 2, 3, and Xbox 360. Man, it came out a lot. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how um, PlayStation 2 and Xbox 360 sort of killed off all the other um, gaming systems, right? Well, just Sega mainly. Nintendo still survived, so... <laughs> oh, barely. <laughs> barely. It had a rough patch with the... Yeah. GameCube didn't do so well, but then the Wii brought them back, and then had another downturn with the Wii U, but now they're back up with the Switch. Yeah, the Wii U with that big iPad yeah. controller. Yeah. <laughs> that big black iPad controller. Not the best controller, I would say. So, so that was like a dual screen, then? Yeah. But, you know, not so, the first so part, you, so could you take that thing and like play it, play, play Not on I the, don't know, some you game? Had, you had to be in close proximity to the system oh. so you couldn't take it on the road with you or anything, which is what oh, makes the so Switch such like, a big deal. Yeah, it's not like a Switch. Then. No. Uh, 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 well, that's our antiquated uh, well, gaming system. Talk, yeah. Right? <laughs> From Shazam 2 to Dreamcast talk. Yeah. <laughs> but... Didn't even mention the flash release date yet, yeah. <laughs> but that is the one July, I'm still not convinced is happening. <laughs> July first, uh, 2022. Yeah, so it'd be great if we get Shazam two and the Flash in the same year, but I'm still holding my breath on the Flash. Well, anything can still happen since they're not in production yet. So, fingers crossed though that it does. Yeah, and who's going to be the Flash? Be Ezra Miller. Right now, it's still Ezra Miller, but that's one of the things where I think kids still change <laughs> until they're yeah. starting to film the movie. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm not sure who they're going to keep. Who, who are they going to keep? I mean, they can't get rid of Gal Gadot. No, right? her and Jason she, Momoa are, I think, yeah, the yeah, they're the iconic DC movies right now. So. Right, they're the iconic yeah. one role in an Aquaman. Henry Cavill, I think, is gone. I think so too, but he's still talking about how he wants to still continue on playing Superman, and that is not officially closed on him yet. But uh, that's another thing; I'll believe it when I see it. But I'll be happy yeah. to have him back still. But I don't know, uh, not one hundred percent sure. 
Ben Affleck's certainly gone. Oh, he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about that one. Um, I forget the actor that played Cyborg. Uh, Ray Fisher, I believe. Yeah, Ray Fisher. Yeah, Ray Fisher is yeah. gone. Yeah, I think he's gone and kind of uh, upset about it too, and rightfully so, I think. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? That's it, right? Pretty much. That was the Justice League. Yeah. Yeah. And looks like uh, most of the Suicide Squad is gone. Yeah, except for Harley and yeah. uh, Amanda Waller still going to be played by. Um, why am I blanking on her name? <laughs> uh, the famous actress. Uh, hold on, Viola Davis. There you go, Viola Davis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. she's back for the sequel. And Joel, uh, his last name Kinnaman, as a uh, yeah, Rick Flag. I think there's a three that are coming back from the first one. No, that that guy and, uh, was even Boom, that, Captain I, Boomerang. He's back too. Oh, he is. Yeah. Oh, so that Joe Kinman guy. He was supposed to be the new RoboCop. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I guess the the movie didn't make enough. No, I actually like that movie. I enjoyed. It. I'm not a big RoboCop guy, so neither. I'm not yeah, too but... sure if they ruined the fran or like disrespected the franchise of Lord anyway. But I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, so did I. Um, so yeah, our next piece of uh news is the Wonder Woman 2 trailer. That's not what it's called, Dane. It's called Wonder Woman 2, Tim. <laughs> that's a number that's not even in the title. <laughs> okay, sorry, Wonder Woman 1984. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's <not too> hard. <laughs> I really like how the, these um. Shows that take place in the 80s. Uh, these movies that take place in the 80s. See it in Stranger Things. Uh, you see it in this Wonder Woman trailer. They have to have a scene in a shopping mall. Yeah. Like a big <laughs> antiquated thing. You know, like it's, like, uh, it's a thing of the past. They're still around. I don't know if you know that, Tim. Uh, I haven't been to one in years. But Me I like either. how malls... They really captured the look, like you said. It did remind me of Stranger Things season three, where it's an '80s mall. Yeah. They definitely captured the look of how malls were in the '80s. But I oh, the the music too in this trailer. I yeah. love the, the, the '80s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the music. They're really capturing that '80s vibe. I think it's working so yeah. well <laughs> for yeah. this movie, man. But this came out this last Sunday. And that was a great Sunday for comic book fans. You had this trailer. You had the first episode of Crisis on Infinite Earths. The amazing Watchmen episode that we talked about. So it was a good day for comic book fans. But I love this trailer. First, because like I think most trailers should do now, especially the first ones, they really don't dive into the plot or story at all. And I appreciate that. Don't over-explain everything. Obviously, we know Steve Trevor's in this movie but we don't know how he comes back, and they didn't go into that. I was worried they were just right off the bat saying, oh, this is how Steve Trevor survived and how he's back and all that stuff. Save that for the actual movie. But this trailer was just giving us shot after shot of amazing Wonder Woman action, (laughs) and that's what I think a teaser should do, just show you how cool the sequel is going to be, and man, does it look so good. (laughs) Just the action stuff we're getting in this looks amazing. First off, in the mall, that's going to be a cool sequence uh, using her TR to almost like a battering, taking out <laughs> these cameras. And the way she's taking out gunmen was that one sequence, or they're not in the mall, I forget where they're at, it might be a museum or something, 
where she literally takes the bullet out like of the gun <laughs> like it pops out and she just <laughs> whacks it with her bracelet it just looks so cool she uses her lasso as this force of nature just plowing through enemies there just this action is going to be off the hook off the hook with wonder woman it looks so so good that that's um i'm i'm just unsure of the slow motion stuff yes I, I think that was one of my criticisms when we did a review for the first movie, yeah. how there was maybe one or two that were too many, because I liked action sequences where it's just showing the natural flow and you know, speed of combat that either the actors or the stunt performers are doing. That, to me, has a bigger impression for me as a cool action sequence than slow motion. It has its place for cool moments, but it could be overused a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of slow motion scenes in Watchmen... Uh, that, that's how you do a slow motion scene. And uh, this is extraordinary being when Angela goes through the wind, the window. Yeah. <laughs> and it slows down. <laughs> that's that how you do it. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I love this trailer. Um, I don't really care how Steve Trevor comes back. We know he's going to be in it. We know he's one of them's love interest. Um, you just got to be okay with that. Um, just wondering how... Um, I for, I forget her name. What's her name, Tim? Uh, Kristen Wiig. How is she going to be playing to all of this? I know. That's see. That's one of the things I love about the trailer. Didn't dive into. We yeah. know she's playing Cheetah, and yeah, but I, I we don't know how exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because we know they're going to start off her and Diana as friends, just as it was in the comic stories, and something's going to happen where the uh, fallout, and she becomes more twisted and evil as cheetah and i gotta say that's another thing i like in the trailer even though i can't wait to see what cheetah looks like let's save that for a little bit later i'm sure we'll get our first look at her as full-blown as cheetah they confirm that we will see her as <laughs> cheetah that we know from the comics but let's just save that closer to the movie and maybe for the second trailer so they're gonna slowly trying to build her up as uh, one of the villains in the story but uh something's gonna happen where i don't know if, because Maxwell Lord right now is being in this trailer anyway showed as the main antagonist for this movie, but he's probably going to play a role I think in Cheetah's transformation to become other becoming a villain. So we just have to wait and see how that plays out. But I don't know. I just yeah. can't wait to see it all. And yeah, the Mandalorian is a villain in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot that Pedro Pascal is in this movie. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> That I, wig, <laughs> yeah, that that wig is great. A eighties style hair. Yeah, um, and you said it, Tim. I hope that's the haircut he has underneath the helmet, the Mandalorian helmet. It has to right. be now. Yeah. <laughs> it just has to be. <laughs> At least in my head, that's how I picture it. Every cool moment that the Mandalorian has, it's because of that hair. <laughs> you just think of that hair. <laughs> It's also what keeps it down, you know. Because yeah. like in this past episode, we had that 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 guy trying to lift up his helmet. Yeah, we know how. <laughs> it's all because of that air. Mystery solved. Um, speaking Another... of Mandalorian, uh, real quick, Tim. Okay. Um, does Pedro Pascal does he do the does he do a voiceover or is is that his voice just modified? There was an article that came out recently where it says he doesn't play him all the time. It's kind of he does in some episodes and 
either some episodes or some sequences, he doesn't play him. So it's kind of half and half <laughs> for him. Oh, so. so like the action sequences, he doesn't? Probably, yeah. yeah. There's like, like the an voice... article where he's talking with his yeah. stunt double or the performer, how they kind of, how they're trying, he's trying to match up his movements and mannerisms for when he's not in the costume. So oh, not 100%, but he is still in it. Which, I mean, if you're an actor, how can you not want to be in that costume for at least a portion of the series? <laughs> That'd be not, not uh, uh, Tim, I, I do have to bring up a, a point of contention to what you just said. Not on the Tatooine scenes. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you know what? I, I think there's a lot of action in this one. So why don't you wear it while I sit in the shade? <laughs> Just get ready to record my my dialogue yeah. <laughs> later on in post. <laughs> no, but yeah, another thing I like about in the Runner Woman trailer is how we're going to get more flashbacks to Diana as a little girl on the mascara. And they're showing moments of her in and on uh, with the other Amazons in that Coliseum kind of like arena where how Wonder Woman's origin, she was, you know, in those that competition in those games of seeing who would represent the Amazons as they took Steve Trevor back. We know that's not what happened in the first movie, but if they throw that element of Diana competing in the, that tournament and that competition, showing how she is a cut above the rest of all the other Amazons, I think would be cool because of that shot where um, they're like all running on these pillars, like these different obstacles there. And there's that great moment where she's just a little girl running with the other Amazons. So I like how we're going to get more time on the mascara, either in flashbacks telling Wonder Woman's story there. So I like I wasn't expecting that for this movie because I just thought it would mainly be focused on the time frame of nineteen eighty four and not too much on her history that we got in the first movie. But I'm glad we're getting more of that. And then you just throw in Wonder Woman using her lasso to ride on lightning. I mean that's just <laughs> the coolest thing ever. Um not sure how I feel about that uh that winged suit at the end. Mm. Um I really yeah, like it because, um, I mean, you can't say it's not comic accurate because it looks straight out of the page of Kingdom right. Come, which I believe is the first time she wore that armor. And I can see how not everyone would love it, but just the comic book geek and me seeing that costume in live action and knowing what a great job they're doing of <laughs> representing that in live action looked pretty cool. So uh, I'll be curious to see what makes her want to wear it. Is it to fight Cheetah? Is it because of something Maxwell Lord does? I'm not sure, but... It's kind of cool that just the throwing in that element of Wonder Woman's history in there. Yeah, or they could just do the Batman and Robin. Just don't <laughs> explain it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. I also like, I mean, that was a great day for Alex Ross because he sent out a tweet like showing images of his Kingdom Come Superman, his Kingdom Come Batman, his Kingdom Come Wonder Woman. <laughs> then he has pictures of Brendan Ralph, Kevin Conroy, and Gal Gadot from their representing those costumes and designs that he <laughs> created for those comics. It was just cool. I think oh, he was just proud cool. to see his creations kind of represented in the live action yeah. <laughs> and the, so well. So that was cool. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this, for this movie. Yeah. It's about time we got a trailer. Cause you know, with the release date pushback, it just feels like this movie has been in production for a long time now. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. only going to be three years. From the first movie, which is kind of standard yeah. for sequels, but some right. of them are two. And then originally it was supposed to be out already this month. <laughs> so it's just great to finally get actual footage of the film and it's looking great. So so then we're gonna try to push this out 
to compete with Star Wars? Yeah, I think so. I think it was wow. early December, or it might have been November, but somewhere kind of close. Wow. So, 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 what's the movie that? Is it, or, what are the movies that are going to try to compete with uh, Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> well, you want to know the big one? Yeah. Cats. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think the that Netflix? comes out the day of or day before or something like that. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, that's going to be the big one. Th- yep. There's nothing else. Well, Jumanji: The Next Level came out this this week, so that's going to have its one week <laughs> to shine, I guess. But and the last one, because the, the last Jumanji movie came out before the Last Jedi, and it had strong legs. I mean, it did pretty well. I mean, obviously not as big as that as Star Wars, but it held its own for, for pretty good length of time. So I'm sure they're counting on that for the sequel too. Yeah, I'm just looking up the movies right now. Jumanji. Frozen Two Cats. <laughs> Frozen Two came out last. Well, yeah, it just has it right here. I, I guess it's still good, doing good. Um, Knives Out. Oh, the, the 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 Ryan Johnson movie. Yeah, I heard that's really really good. Yeah, uh, Black Christmas. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Oh, the, the Mr. Rogers one. Mr. Rogers one. Oh. Yeah. Ford v Ferrari. The Christian Bale. Matt Damon one, Bombshell, Dark Yeah, the, there's not any competition <laughs> for Star Wars: The Rise I, of the Skywalker. I think it should do pretty good opening weekend, and it's just a theatrical run, if I were to guess. <laughs> really, Tim? <laughs> Going you're out bet- on a limb there. You're betting the farm on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. But yeah, so I I guess that's it for our episode then. Unless well, Dane, we, we haven't talked about I gotta say, I lied in the show notes. <laughs> what did you lie about? I didn't think I was going to be able to read Batman 84, but I did. Okay. <laughs> I was able to squeeze it in, in. I'll tell you about it later, but I was able to find a way to read it. So I can give a review of it real quickly. Okay, so um, yeah, just if if you were gonna do a comic book review, so if you haven't read your comic book review, uh, comic books yet, um, you might want to pause it and come back to this later. Um, and for this episode, we are going to be reviewing Batman nineteen eighty four. See how everything ties in together, Dane. <laughs> exactly. Um, so good. When did the Vietnam scenes take place in Watchmen? Uh, in the I don't 80s? know. I think it was. Well, what she was a little girl. Yeah. I think it might have been was it the nineties? Because that takes place after the events of the Watchmen comic when Adrian Veidt released a squid monster or squid yeah. alien. So might have been late eighties, nineties, so I don't know really? if we can make that connection. No, wait, 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 wait. The 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 scene where Angela goes into the store. Uh-huh. And gets the Sister Night videotape that takes place after the squid attack. I believe so. Hmm. I could be wrong, but I thought that's what it was. If anything, it's pretty close. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to be before. Let's just say it takes place in 1984. Might as well. <laughs> that's the <laughs> <big> episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, our rating scale for this 
this um, episode is going to be how many different connections we can make to, to 1984. <laughs> I knew it had to be that after our yeah. conversation right there. <laughs> so, yes. So, Batman 84 kind of gives us the history of Thomas Wayne Batman for the events after Flashpoint leading up to his role in City of Bane and what he wants to do for Bruce. And this one was kind of weird because it wasn't played out in a linear fashion. It played out backwards. <laughs> and I had to reread it after, right after reading it the first time, which is not even not too long ago, <laughs> where it's like, okay, this not flowing, not making sense. And then as it went on, I was like, okay, I see what he's doing. He's basically doing, Tom King was doing the Seinfeld episode that played out backwards, <laughs> where Jerry, George, and Elaine go to India for Elaine's friend's wedding, but the episode goes backwards as the story unfolds. So this was pretty much <laughs> exactly like that. And I kind of prefer if he just told it in a linear way, and with this sense, like, he had to make it different for the sake of being different. And to me, it just made it a little more confusing. But so you're basically better off reading it backwards from the last page, moving up to the front page. because It definitely makes more sense because you get uh, different points of Thomas Wayne, the flashpoint in Thomas Wayne's life and how it led up to him becoming Batman in the events of flashpoint. There's so I'm going from the ending here. <laughs> it goes uh, because we know the last issue ended with Bruce confronting Thomas Wayne after the death, he learned the death of Alfred, and they're going to have one more go at it. But Thomas Wayne kind of, we get his perspective on everything. And I liked how it starts off with him just tucking Bruce in as a little boy at night after reading him the story, the story of those animals in the pit that we know from several issues ago. And he just kind of says a little bow and a little prayer of kind of how Bruce did after his parents' death, but Thomas is doing it before he just goes i swear on the spirit of my parents to protect your life bruce but we know it's going to have a tragic outcome because in the flashpoint universe joe chill kills bruce wayne and not thomas and martha and we're just showing him trying to revive him trying to bring him back and martha is just only concerned about losing her pearls not even really with bruce and i can't remember if that was an element to her that jeff johns did or um brian azarello did in his a Batman tie-in story to Flashpoint. Like we got that great Batman and Thomas Wayne and Martha uh, Wayne Joker battle that we got. I can't remember if that was an element that was established here or Tom King throwing it in. But I kind of wasn't a fan of that because I just loved how in the original Flashpoint tie-in comic, Martha was just so distraught of the death of Bruce and she gets that blood and paints it as a smile on her face for her becoming the Joker and driving her to madness. Not necessarily because she couldn't find her pearls, but... So I'm not exactly sure if that originated from the original story or if that's something Tom King did, but wasn't a huge fan of it. So we get Thomas Wayne just killing Joe Chill after we couldn't get Bruce. And then after we get sequences of you know, Martha actually killing Alfred and full-on Joker makeup and that how Thomas became someone who was killing all his criminals. And we see him killing the Penguin. We see him kill Bane. We see him kill Kite Man, Mr. Freeze, Riddler, all of them. But as he goes to kill Catwoman, um, he can't do it. She tells him who she really is. She says she has no family, and she just tells him to go ahead and pull the trigger. But then he realizes, you know, um, she'd be the same age as Bruce was if he survived. And so her or him and Catwoman end up becoming partners, kind of similar to how uh, Bruce and Kat Selina were in the normal time period, except it's not a romantic relationship. It's just Thomas Wayne taking her in kind of as his daughter. And they're fighting crime together and kind of having the same arguments as Bruce and Selena did as far as when they first met, not remembering right where it actually took place. But she becomes his partner. But one day 
they return in the Batcave. They're walking up the stairs, and Martha Wayne Joker just shoots Catwoman point blank, killing her. In that sense, Thomas Wayne off on the deep end even more so. Uh, we just see him in the next just drinking and saying, yes, he's just fed up with this world. He's lost everything, and he has to destroy it. And that's how we kind of get to more of the Flashpoint time period. And we see that even though we thought Flashpoint got destroyed once Barry stopped the timeline, when he stopped um, himself from saving his mother, everything was supposed to go back to normal. But Reverse Flash, Ebarthon, um wanted to torment Thomas even more for killing him, even though he survived, saying, you know, he won't let himself die easy because Thomas Wayne was ready to die, but Eobarthon wanted him to live in pain, live in him, having him see Bruce as Batman live the same life as Thomas Wayne, which Thomas Wayne, you know, hates, doesn't want his son to live this life. And of course, that goes into the story of the button of how he pleaded with Bruce to live a happy life and to see, you know, give up being Batman because he doesn't want him to turn out like he did. And that just brings us a little closer to the present where we see him proposing uh, to Catwoman, which looks to be what he wanted, but he knows this isn't the right way because it's being orchestrated by Bane. We see him confront the Joker to get information as far as what's going on, who's orchestrating all this, and that leads into Bane and him pretending to offer his help, but really not wanting to work for Bane, but to do it to protect Bruce in his own brutal way. And that leads us back to the present where he's about to confront Batman. So that's not how the comic played out. Like I said, I went backwards. Everything I said, the comic plays out the opposite. So <laughs> that's why I made it a little confusing where he meets up with Catwoman. I'm like, wait a second. How is he teaming up with Catwoman? Is this a part of the story in the current timeline where maybe Bruce was broken by Bane and him and Catwoman were fighting crime together, but they're killing criminals who are still alive? Like, what's going on? So the further I went back, the more I had to realize, okay, this is in the Flashpoint universe. And we're just seeing the history of Thomas Wayne and what led him to the events now. So it was a good look into the history of Thomas Wayne to see what his life was like. But I just wasn't a big fan of how it wasn't told in a linear fashion. This made it a little more confusing than it needed to be. But still a solid story. I'm going to go ahead and give it uh, three and a half out of five connections that I, we tried to make in this episode to 1984. So um, I believe there's just one more issue left for Tom King's run. Maybe one or two, but... It's going to wrap up pretty soon, so hopefully it ends on a high note. I said before how the majority of City of Bane has not been my cup of tea, but with the last issue with Alfred being great and then this one being a good look into Thomas Wayne's history, um, it's hopefully going to lead to a satisfying conclusion with the last issue or two. So, yeah, we'll see how it all wraps up. All right, so is that it, Tim? Or, that is or, or, are you lying about something <laughs> <laughs> I will mention, too, since I'm just talking about comics, TMNT issue 100 came out this past week, a landmark for TMNT because they never had a comic run that made it to 100 issues and the IDW story made it. And talk about a satisfying conclusion for 100 issues in eight years of the best TMNT storytelling. It was pretty darn awesome. So I recommend that for anyone who hasn't read the TMNT comics definitely check it out. You won't be disappointed. It's going to be remembered as one of the best comics of the decade, in my opinion. I think it's that good, even if you weren't a fan of the TMNT franchise going into it. It's just great storytelling with great artwork. Yeah, I gotta get back on that. Yeah, I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's it for our episode of, uh, of the final episode of the year. Um, go to the BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash Batman Universe. Twitter handles at, Bat- 
at Batman Universe. The show's Twitter handle's at BatFansPodcast. Tim's Twitter handle's at TimG311. I'll say it. It's the final show. Thank you, Dean. And <laughs> my Twitter handle's at DeanSysBanana. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes, and you can email the show at BatFansWithoutPants at gmail.com. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim... We love each and every one of you with all of our bat and blue Dr. Manhattan cards <laughs> getting through a crisis of 1984. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I got all the topics in there. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, we'll see you again next time. See you next year, everybody. Yeah.